it's me. I feel like a bad little schoolboy or something. I haven't released an episode in, I think, about a month. But it was because I um, got really excited about the topic. I went down a bunch of rabbit holes, read a bunch of books, and tried to record it like six or seven times, and it just got more and more expansive. And so I'm breaking it up into parts, and today's is just an introduction to the concept. And I'm like a giddy little schoolboy for this one. I feel like I fell in the third and fourth grades. They would take us to the local bowling alley on Fridays after school. Like 25 of us would clamber onto a school bus and get taken to the bowling alley like five minutes away. And we would just be let loose. And when you really get down to it, that's what we're all after. To just be let free. To be let loose from our conceptual straitjackets, our conditioning, our feelings of I should be doing this, I need to act this way, just to feel this deep, deep freedom and peace. And back then, all it took for me to feel that was get some flaming hot Cheetos, and then I would bowl, so I would be licking my fingers, putting my fingers in the bowling ball, and then taking it out, eating more Cheetos. Really disgusting, but... Hey, I was young and let free, so anything went. That was an amazing feeling. And the reason I'm kind of bringing it up is because I would also buy these holographic stickers. They had those sticker machines where you would put your quarters in and um, that really tactile machine where then you would push it in and pull it out and that sliding motion was just so rewarding. The sticker would come out right as you pulled it back out. And then I would get the sticker, and I would just be mesmerized by it. They were holographic stickers, so they would change their shape as they caught the light differently and as you moved it. And today's episode is about the holonomic theories of our brains and the universe. So yes, if you haven't heard of this, the some of the latest thinking due to mostly quantum physics is that the world and our brains behave much like holograms. It's not the sticks and stones solid world that we were taught and that has dominated the West for the last few hundred years in the Newtonian Cartesian paradigm. So yes, I'm sorry you were taught a lot of bullshit in high school physics. I don't know what they're teaching today. I don't think they're really getting into the ramifications of quantum physics still in high school like I think they should be. But I learned that atoms were kind of these balls and they whizzed around banging into each other, that billiard ball image that they often used and that I've heard a lot of my friends in different areas of the country learned. Yeah, that's all actually bullshit. And if you haven't realized, the intro songs give a pretty good indication of what the episode's going to be about. And that intro song was hypnotized by Tune Yards. So we're going to talk today about how all these belief systems and the view of the world that we've been indoctrinated into have literally put us into hypnagogic states. We don't realize the true nature of things. We build up all these models in our heads and are conditioned into how to believe, how to behave, how to get around in the world. And those are all just models that don't actually exist in reality. And so today we're going to kind of strip away all of that and look into some alternative theories about how the very 
world works, the nature of reality. So if that's your um, cup of tea, then you're really going to love this episode. I've been feeling my Bill Nye fantasy kind of lately, and I've been reading books by people like Stanislav Grof, David Bohm, Carl Pribram, and Michael Talbot, and watching some old episodes of Thinking Aloud, which is a wonderful series. They should, if TV were like that, I would still watch TV today. It was hosted by this guy, Jeffrey Mishlove. He is a great interviewer. He's actually still alive, and I think doing kind of an offshoot of that old show on maybe YouTube or something. So definitely check out thinking aloud. He had cutting edge thinkers on to actually think and use critical thinking to discuss some of the most pressing matters of the day instead of just falling into old paradigms and parroting back what we've been told. That's not thinking, that's just judging. So we're going to talk about all that today. And the basic foundation for how we're going to talk about it are these new, they're actually not really new, they've been around now for decades, but we just aren't taught them, the holonomic brain and universe theories, which postulate that our brains and universe work more like a hologram. Okay, so where did these things come from? Well, if you didn't know, we now have the technology to observe things at the subatomic level. And some people, when they hear the term quantum physics, they get all freaked out and like, this is too complicated. But let's break it down. So quantum, or quanta, the plural, are just things smaller than atoms. That's all that quantum means. It's smaller than an atom. And then physics is just the mechanisms of things, how things behave. So we're literally just talking about how things smaller than atoms behave. That's all that quantum mechanics or quantum physics means. So, and some examples of quanta are photons, electrons, x-rays, gamma rays, etc. Those are all quanta. They're smaller than atoms. Um, so decades have now been spent observing how these things behave, like I said, and two scientists separately came up with complementary theories that question the prevailing Newtonian Cartesian paradigm that dominates Western science. And this is a very simplified explanation of that, but Newtonian physics from Sir Isaac Newton is also known as classical mechanics, and it states that all things adhere to the same laws of motion, so they can then be measured and predicted. The physical world is basically a complex, lifeless machine. And then Cartesianism is the philosophical and scientific system developed mainly by Rene Descartes, you know, the, the I think, therefore I am guy. And it established an absolute divide between mind and matter. He took Newtonian physics and agreed that all physical things behave like machines, including all living things apart from humans, and then established a separate concept of the mind, which states that humans have the special ability to understand all these laws through their own separate internal systems of reasoning. And this Newtonian-Cartesian paradigm is the prevailing model of thinking today. It underpins most Westerners' view of the relationship they have with nature and with each other, interpersonally and as members of society in general, viewing everyone as separate entities that are interacting with each other 
in a separate world that obeys these laws and then humans just have to navigate it. Basically, the Newtonian-Cartesian paradigm underpins how society is run, how all our systems are organized in hierarchical ways, how we view the natural world and our relationship to it, and how we view other humans and our relationships with them. So it's a pretty big deal, I would say. And yeah, it's probably all wrong. So just like how we used to think the Earth was the center of the universe, and then telescopes came along... Well, we used to think that we're all separate things and that the world is made up of a bunch of little parts that come together to form this tangible sticks and stones physical world that we all interact with. So these atoms all come together and form molecules and then those form these bigger objects. Um, but quantum physics came along, sorry, and was like, no, bitches, you're just dead wrong. That's not how things work. And we're in this weird time in the West where people kind of think that we have things figured out, but I just, it, it boggles my mind because if you go back 200 years, let's just say, which is just an infinitesimal amount of time in the scale of the universe, the things that we thought in medicine, science, across the board, really, we now have realized all that shit was basically wrong. Things are constantly evolving as we get better technology and understand things better. And that's still happening. In 200 years, people are going to look back on the things that we thought as a society and be like, oh my God, how did these people live being such idiots? And then 200 years after that, it'll just keep advancing. So what we're talking about now is just our current best thinking. And we have to let go of this Newtonian-Cartesian paradigm. It's not correct. Um, so the first thing we're going to discuss is the holonomic brain theory. The first thing you have to understand is that your brain creates all your experiences. It's not that there are these solid things out in the world that are always in existence and that your brain is just perceiving them as they are. No, your brain is a filter and it takes in all sorts of stimuli and then filters it into uh, your perceptions via all sorts of complex processes that in science we don't understand. Like it's a bunch of neurochemical processes um, with your vision, for example, you're filtering light, it's hitting your optic nerve, and we all know about optical illusions where you can easily trick your vision into seeing things that aren't there. So to illustrate this a little bit further, let's use the popular riddle of if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around, does it make a sound? The answer is simply no. The tree would make vibrations in the air as it falls, but unless there's a human ear, which is an amazingly intricate instrument, and here's a very simplified version of how it works, the vibrations in the air travel into the ear canal, and then those vibrations hit your eardrum, causing it to vibrate, and it makes three tiny bones called ossicles move to amplify the vibrations in the cochlea, where there are little hairs that then vibrate, and those hairs vibrating send electrical signals to the auditory nerve, which then sends signals to the auditory center of the brain. And that's where you then perceive what started as vibrations in the air as sound. 
So without the ear and brain, there's no sound. Humans have a very specific way of perceiving sound. So another thing to remember is if there's no human, but there's, say, a fox or something in the forest when the tree falls, this organism also has ears and brains, but they're different from ours. So something akin to what we call sound will be perceived by the fox, but it won't be the same sound that humans perceive. And then you can get into all humans perceive sound slightly differently. So it's very important to remember your brain is what works together with the environment and the other parts of your body and creates all of your perceptions with all of your senses of the air quotes external world at all times. Professor, is this all real? Or is it just happening inside my head? Of course it's happening inside your head, Harry. Why should that mean that it's not real? All right, so hopefully that was clear, like how your brain creates your experiences, but you're probably asking, well, like how? So experiments are increasingly suggesting that the brain exhibits many of the principles of a hologram in the way it constructs reality. Carl Pribram is the forefather of the holonomic brain theory, so most of what I'm about to say comes from his work if you want to explore it further. Again, that's Carl Pribram, and I'm really just going to give you the tip of a massive iceberg. So if the brain behaves like a hologram, well, then you got to know how a hologram works. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Okay, so what is a hologram? So I like to start by deconstructing the word itself. Hollow means whole and gram means an image or a recording. So literally a projection, an image of something whole. So thinking about the projection of Princess Leia from R2-D2, it was a three-dimensional image of Princess Leia that came from a source that was completely whole. Now how do you create these holographic projections? Well, you shoot a wavefront, usually a beam of light, so a waves of photons, and they're called reference beams, at a wavefront of interest, the wavefront of the image that you want to perceive in 3D. So when the photon waves hit the wavefront of interest, things known as interference patterns are created. And those are the things that are then recorded on a physical medium. So let's take this step by step. What are interference patterns? Well, let's use an example with one type of quanta, electrons. And know that all quanta behave this way, but we're just going to use electrons for this example. So when electrons strike any object, they scatter. But the cool and kind of insane thing that I had no idea about until researching this is that they don't just scatter mindlessly. They scatter in a really well-regulated way so you can um, predict how the electrons are going to scatter every time they hit a surface because it's always the same way. And the two terms, interference and patterns are saying just what they sound like they're saying. When any quanta, anything smaller than an atom, meet each other, 
or interfere, they scatter into an observable pattern. It's the same every time. They don't just interact randomly. They all follow the same pattern. So what that means is that they can be described mathematically. And the equations that are used are called Fourier transforms or spread functions, which is a really literal name because it's the functions of how they spread out and scatter. Now, it's probably not clear yet this has insane implications for your entire view of reality, but it will be soon. And if you're a visual learner, you can imagine interference patterns simply as the waves that result when you drop two or more pebbles into a pond and the waves overlap each other. Just in the cosmos, then, instead of water, there's an incalculable number of waves of quanta that are constantly interfering with each other. And then whatever you shine your laser on, and in this metaphor, your laser would be your conscious attention, that filters the waves through the brain and turns the interference patterns of these waves into all of your perceptions. You are literally creating the world you perceive by turning waves into your perceptions via mathematical equations called Fourier transforms, often called the calculus of waves, and we're going to talk more about those in a second. But it's postulated that underpinning all subatomic quanta are these waves, or interference patterns, that at their fundamental level exist in an implicate order. That's a term coined by David Bohm, who spent his life studying this, and he came up with the term implicate order to describe this inextricably interconnected, unified field that is the basis of all reality. And in my philosophy and experience of it, I then came up with the term absolute wholeness. And they are completely all quanta, everything in existence, is completely enfolded upon themselves in this implicate order into a singularity. And then what allows us to experience our reality is when these waves unfold. So they're enfolded into themselves in the implicate order, and then they unfold throughout the cosmos into the explicate order, allowing us to perceive and experience them in the time-space continuum. So these two terms, the implicate order, describing the sub-quantum field, the fundamental level of reality, and the explicate order, which describes the manifested world that we perceive, live in, and interact with, again, were coined by David Bohm. He's a hybrid quantum physicist and philosopher. So I'm going to steal a label that was given to him from Michael Talbot to describe him, a quantum mystic and Fuck, that's what I want to be. Why wasn't that an option on those little tests you take in middle school telling you what your career should be? Mine was like a lawyer, oh my god, or a farmer, I think, or something, because I like liked the outdoors, but I was logical. I was like crazy. I was like, okay, farmer or lawyer. Yeah, okay, thanks a lot. Anyway, Bohm's life work proved that no quanta... So again, electrons, photons, gamma rays, x-rays, etc. are individual things, but instead they should be referred to as ensembles. And when you are observing any of them, let's just use an electron again for this example, 
what you are really observing is just one aspect of an ensemble of electrons that has presently unfolded into the explicit order only as you observe it. But at all times, both the particle and wave aspects are always present in the electron's fundamental ensemble. It's just how the electron is being observed that determines which aspect of the ensemble is presently unfolded into the explicate order and which aspect remains hidden into the implicate order. And you may have heard about experiments where electrons are shot at a solid object and when that happens they behave like a particle. They make an impression where they met the solid surface. But then if you shoot these same electrons at a wall that has two slits in it, the electrons become waves immediately and simultaneously go through both slits. Well, this doesn't just occur with electrons. Absolutely all subatomic things do this. They are literally like shapeshifters out of a fantasy novel. And again, the way Bohm describes the nature of all quanta is to define them then as ensembles. And because of this, Bohm describes the universe itself as a hollow movement, a whole moving, changing thing, li almost liquid, not static at all. Since at all times in this theory, there's an incalculable number of unfolding and un unfoldings going on to create the world we perceive. And um, while that may seem scary, like everything's just this cosmic soup, and there's a physicist named Nick Herbert who says once he studied all this, and he's a quantum physicist, um, he feels like behind him there's just this soupy um, existence going on, and it's only when he turns that it becomes the physical world, kind of like Midas, whatever he touches becomes gold, so he can never experience the true essence of things. He views humans as these like flashlights that whatever they shine their conscious attention on, that's what creates the physical world. Bohm doesn't go that far because he concluded that underpinning all this um, apparent differentiation is a completely ordered, unified, indivisible whole, again, that he termed the implicate order. And one of the first catalysts for him developing this idea of this completely ordered, indivisible level of reality was he um, was taking a sabbatical from several years at whatever um, university he worked at, and he actually worked with Einstein there when he um, came up with the first textbook for quantum physics. It's called Quantum Theory. But he left being really frustrated that he hadn't come up with this um, theory for the fundamental level that everything exists within. And it wasn't until later that he then kind of made his theory completely um, whole and comprehensive after more study and when the laser was invented so that he could observe quanta at um, a deeper level. But first he saw this device where um, an ink blot was suspended in the solution of glycerin and it was really strange because the ink blot was ordered and in a clear shape but then when you turned the handle it completely scattered throughout the solution of glycerin, but and it 
seemed like it had lost all of its order and shape. But all you had to do was turn the handle again and the ink blot would go back into the same exact shape that it was in before you turned the handle and make, made it disperse. So he was completely amazed by this because what that meant is that even when the ink blot appeared to be diffused throughout the solution and completely disordered, it maintained its order because all it took was turning this handle and it was back into its ordered shape. So what that means is even when things appear disordered and completely chaotic, that there might be some sort of thread that's holding the order together. And he eventually um, came up with the idea of the implicate order and has um, validated a lot of the principles of it through numerous experiments that I can't get into all of them, obviously, in this one episode but just giving you the fundamental um, ideas. So if you're like, this can't possibly get any cooler right now, though, you're wrong, because what the existence of this deeper underlying implicate order implies, then, is that at the subquantum level, everything in the cosmos is organized non-locally. What is non-locality? So it's the term that we use to convey the fact that when you look out into the world and think you see a bunch of different objects separated by space, and perhaps you perceive them then as different parts that all have different names and are entirely separate from each other, that's actually the illusion that your brain is creating using, again, these mathematical equations called Fourier transforms, and in actuality, all things are ensembles of energy and fundamentally exist in absolute wholeness outside of this time-space continuum. And that's what Einstein and Bohm, when they worked together, came to agree upon. Bohm was basically taking the Einstein's theory of relativity, which stated that time and space are one continuum, to the next level to say that everything fundamentally is one continuum and it's just our current perception and the way that we navigate the world by perceiving them all as different things and giving them different names and thinking that the world is made up of a bunch of different parts. Well, that's not completely false. That's how we're experiencing our reality, but it's only, I guess, a problem, you could call it, if you lose sight of the fact that at the fundamental level, everything is a unified whole. So mathematics is literally the language of the world. What you may think of as a sticks and stones material world made up of a bunch of static parts is just a matter of perception. What your brain is filtering to you by doing some crazy calculus and turning this wavy soup of interference patterns into all your perceptions, your perceptions of sight, sound, taste, touch, everything. To better explain this, in 1979, two scientists, the Devalois, it was a married couple, did some experiments where they used these Fourier transform equations to convert images into the waveforms of interference patterns on holographic films. Specifically, they converted plaid and checkered patterns into simple waveforms. Then, at the same time, they showed 
experiment subjects the images and the waveform superimposed on top of the image and all the brain constructed were, were the patterns from the waveforms. The brain prioritized the Fourier transform waveform equations over the image of the patterns. The subjects could not see the images at all. The brain um, perceived the waveforms. This experiment then caused Carl Pribram to delve into frequencies relationship with all our senses, not just sight, and the results were startling. I don't have the time or energy to go into all of the experiments. You can look them up, Carl Pribram's experiments, but in summation, all our senses and perceptions are created by transforming frequencies into patterns, not responding to physical, tangible stuff. Probably the best analogy that makes this clear is how we all learn to ride a bike. You don't learn the movements bit by bit and then painstakingly put it all together bit by bit. You get on the bike and you integrate the entire process until off, off you go. And this is how a hologram works. It takes in all sorts of inputs at the same time absorbs them all at once, integrates them, and creates your perceptions. Until recently, it used to be thought that memories, thoughts, knowledge um, were stored in the brain much like books on a bookshelf. But through experiments with mice, and if you're an animal lover, this will be pretty disturbing, um, scientists very methodically removed all parts of the mice's brains after they taught them how to run a maze and they were never able to take away the mice um, the mice's ability to run the maze no matter what brain cell they took out after they learned how to run the maze the mice retained the knowledge of running the maze sometimes they would go through the maze physically impaired because a brain cell that um, was responsible for their motor movements was removed but they could never take out any part of the brain that then um, removed their memory of running the maze. So this led to a whole bunch of theorizing about how memories are stored in the brain. If you're interested in that, you can look into Carl Pribram's work, but the conclusion again is that the brain then operates holographically. Memories, knowledge, exist as an integrated whole and then they're called upon when needed but they're not just all separate little parts like it used to be said that that uh, the brain might have something akin to a grandma cell which stored all your memories of your grandma and you could find it much like we thought we could find the fundamental essence of things we thought maybe like the atom, that was the smallest thing, but you just keep cutting and cutting and cutting and going smaller and smaller and smaller, and there's never um, an actual physical thing. Things are existing non-locally, in ensembles, within the implicate order, completely unified, indivisible, and then when we're perceiving them, they're just temporarily unfolded into the current time-space continuum. So this 
um, gives a whole nother way to view what mystics have been saying for thousands of years in the Buddhist tradition that the world is maya, an illusion of perception, and all phenomena are at their core really waves that are just interfering with each other in incalculable ways. And one of the other interesting and maybe even the most interesting aspect of a hologram, yes, I know I'm it's like 30 minutes into this and wait, I'm now I'm just getting to the most interesting aspect. Yeah, you needed all that other stuff, but um, holograms are much different than photographs because other than being 3D instead of 2D, you, now listen to this craziness, you can smash a hologram, cut it up into as many teeny tiny pieces as you want, and if you shine the light, a laser or any sort of reference beam onto any of the pieces, it could be millions of pieces, an infinite number. Shine the light onto any small piece of it, and the entire image will be recreated just from a different angle. And I know that seems like magic, but it's just science. And now maybe you're thinking, wait, what happened to you talking more about philosophy now that I'm over 30 minutes in? Well, that's what I'm getting to now, because these ideas that have come from quantum mechanics give us new terms to talk about what's beginning to sound a lot like what I've heard mystics say over the millennia, that there is an underlying implicate order or indivisible whole that says everything in existence is inextricably connected. And there's just subtle and sometimes not so subtle when you get synchronicities in your life, threads that weave this incomprehensibly exquisite tapestry throughout all of experience, and all of this in quantum physics sounds like some philosophical metaphors and parables I've heard that also point to an underlying oneness of the cosmos. Now, isn't that interesting? So things like Indra's net in Buddhism, the Buddha's sermon where he just held up a flower and stared at it, um, and it said someone in the audience then became enlightened. Um, the shaman saying everything contains a divine spark of the great spirit. The description of the way in Taoism. And Jesus saying the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that just grows and grows into a bigger and bigger tree. Or again, I've said this in multiple podcasts, episodes, that heaven is here in the midst of you. But the best saying of Jesus that really lays this out is from the Gospel of Thomas. And if you haven't heard of the Gospel of Thomas, it's a Coptic translation that actually predates many of the canonical Gospels. And it was found in Egypt in 1945. So, wow, what an interesting year to make a discovery like that. Must just be a coincidence, obviously, or this implicate order has quite a dramatic flair. But saying 113 of Jesus from the Gospel of Thomas is the kingdom of God is now and has been from the beginning spread out upon the world, although people do not see it. And all this also brings me back to a Sanskrit word I introduced in the last episode, Adhistana. And I never told you the um, coolest 
literal Tibetan translation. I had it in my notes and then I got to the end and I had edited most of the episode and I just got lazy and didn't want to put this in there. But then after starting this episode, I was like, oh, okay, makes sense because this fits a lot better here. The Tibetan translation of Adistana is something like an engulfing wave or flood of splendor and power. So it's talking about the fundamental essence of the cosmos being something like a completely engulfing wave, flood of splendor and power, something that pervades the entire cosmos and is a thread that holds everything together. So although this episode has been science-heavy, um, it has everything to do with philosophy. If it's not clear yet, these um, quantum mechanic-based holonomic models of our universe and brain just put what mystics have been saying for thousands of years into scientific terms. So if you need some more, in addition to the words of Jesus that I just said in the Tibetan Buddhists, Advaitin Vedantin, Zen Buddhists, and shamans also have concepts in their philosophy that state there is one underlying reality from which all that we see, hear, taste, touch, smell, think about, feel, even, stems. And what might be the coolest part of their philosophies is that every little piece of the universe contains the whole. And so, one last time, that's exactly how a hologram works. You can cut it into as many pieces as you want, shine the light on any piece, and the entire image is recreated. In poetry, um, you may have heard of William Blake, his poem, The Ogres of Innocence. This gives a whole new meaning to me for that. His poem starts with, To see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wild flower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. So all of these conceptual categories that we tend to place things into and compartmentalize these boundaries, and if you want to get really um, like philosophical and talk about social politics and things, all these binaries, we tend to label people different ways um, and like to put people into neat little boxes. Well, if you start thinking about the world holographically, all those things break down. There's really, those are just um, abstractions and ways for our brain to make the world more simple to navigate, to give each of us a separate identity and make us feel as though we're navigating the world as a separate creature amongst all other separate creatures, a separate world, and that's all just illusory. And if you want something more modern, Big Thief, an amazing band, just came out with a new album, and they put this very nicely in their song, Spud Infinity. From way up there, it looks so small. From way down here, it looks so small. One peculiar organism, aren't we all together? Everybody steps on ants. Everybody eats the plants. Everybody knows 
So that last part especially, everybody knows the dance, even with just one finger, is very holonomic. We just learned about holograms. You can cut it up into as many pieces as you'd like. So think about your finger, all of our fingers, as one little piece. They, even something seemingly as trivial as our fingers, contain the entire universe. And I am a little monster, so I'm going to turn to Lady Gaga and an interview she did with Oprah in 2013 to explain this again. Who are you? I'm everything. I am the whole universe. Mm. So are you. Mm -hmm. You are that tree and that mountain and that air that you breathe. You are in every atom of the universe. And I think once we all understand that, mm -hmm. we will realize our individual power. Okay, I think I've belabored that point enough. So while all this is super cool, um, let's get grounded for a second. So there is a fucking war going on in Ukraine right now. So that's another reason it's taken me a while to get this episode out. I started having thoughts like, what's the fucking point of philosophy? People are dying. Is anyone really concerned about our misnomers about reality? What does it mean for these people at ground zero, refugees fleeing the country, pregnant women giving birth in despicable conditions, people starving, um, citizens of towns in Ukraine trying to get out because they were told that there's a ceasefire only to have that just completely pulled out from under them and so they can't escape. They have no water, no power. Like, for people like that, and obviously we all know throughout the world there's so much pain, there are people starving in many places, billions of people actually, um, still without access to water, without enough food, without enough basic resources. What does this have to do with that? Well, it has everything to do with daily life and um, the belief, the illusion, the illusory mistaken belief that we're all separate things is responsible for all societal ills. To take this to its conclusion, the most mind-boggling part of Bohm's fully developed hollow movement theory of the universe is that because everything in the cosmos is made out of the seamless holographic fabric of the implicate order, he says it is completely meaningless to think of individual parts making up the cosmos as meaningless as it would be to say that a geyser of water shooting up from the earth is separate from the pool of water from which it sprang. The cosmos is an indivisible whole. So, the human tendency to separate everything, label everything, think of all people as completely separate entities and not view them as one with yourself is just a matter of convention. It's always and abstraction. It doesn't mean that that's meaningless. It's just that dividing parts of the one hollow movement into different things is just a way of making objects stand out in our perception by our way of thinking. And so the only time that becomes a problem is when you lose sight of that, when you really start thinking everything is separate and lose the thread. So Bohm suggests, and I love this, that we call things relatively independent subtotalities. 
And this would fundamentally change the way we all view the world and each other. And Bohm believes, and the mystics, and I agree that this unconscious convention that most people exhibit of viewing everything as separate is responsible for many of the individual and societal problems we are faced with today. For example, medicine. The field of medicine thinks it's possible to treat parts of our body and minds separately and ignore the holistic health of the one organism of the body. Unrestrained industrialization has given some of us the belief that we can extract resources from the earth, basically plunder the earth, our very home, without giving a second thought to the health of the entire earth, the conscious being, Gaia. And we approach problems like crime, drug addiction, poverty, racism, hunger, homelessness, war, everything as separate problems instead of addressing the root of all these issues, which would be something like the primordial illness of the collective human psyche. That is, thinking that we're all separate from each other, separate from the world in which we live, separate from our very creator, abandoned, left to fend for ourselves, which makes us afraid and very sad and causes people to lash out, thinking, what is our purpose? Why have we been abandoned? But all of that is just a forgetting of our true nature as one individual whole. You and me and all that we see is whole, interconnected and inextricably indivisible. And as Beyonce and Jack White say, if you hurt me, you hurt yourself. So come on, let's stop hurting ourselves. You hurt yourself. Try not to hurt yourself. Who you play me? Play yourself. Don't play yourself. When you lie to me, you lie to yourself. Okay, so after Beyonce, I mean, I just got to wrap it up. I can't really top Queen Bee. So um, I think I'm just going to end with Stanislav Grof. If you haven't heard of him, he's one of the four thinkers of the holonomic theories. Um, some of his books that are great are Beyond the Brain and The Adventure of Self-Discovery. Um, he says that there is an urgent need for a drastic revision of the existing paradigms for psychology, psychiatry, medicine, and possibly science in general. There is at present little doubt in my mind that our current understanding of the universe, of the nature of reality, and particularly of human beings, is superficial, incorrect, and incomplete. Okay, can't get much more direct than that. So... This holographic view of things literally would change how you feel and perceive everything 24-7 for your entire goddamn life. And, I mean, right now some people feel that everything is random, they're separate from everything else, alien, and then they turn into assholes and try to control and manipulate everyone and everything because they're in such pain. So let's just stop doing that. Let's look into some alternative views of reality, feel into it, and I think we'd all feel a lot better. After all, we're all eternal. So if you do feel like you hate your life or something at the moment, just take a step back and chill. Maybe soon you'll wake up and a little alien friend of yours will be like, so, did you feel anything? As you pass them back, the cosmic blunt. 
And with that, namaste, the God in me humbly bows to the God in you. And next episode will be part two of this, and I'm going to talk about the holonomic theory in terms of psychology, collective dreaming, the um, idea that we all kind of sometimes touch the same thread in our dreams, and people in many different groups, different parts of the country can all dream a subsequent dream that contains a common thematic thread and a common narrative. It's cool as fuck. So I'll see you then. Yep.